Thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun Application Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 405. You are allowed to listen to this episode, where today CJ and I are going to cover some recent updates in the Microsoft 365, Microsoft's acquisition, and a little bit of AWS discussion. Recorded live April the 15th, 2021. Good morning, Mr. Johnson. Good morning, Mr. Connell. We are on episode 405. That is the HTTP status for method not allowed. But... We're going to let everyone listen to this one. Yeah, exactly. I, I hope we allow everybody to listen. How about this? We were going to talk to somebody today, yes. and we had that interview scheduled, and their assistant came back and said, sorry, he's got some meetings. We're not going to be able to move those around. We have to move you guys around, so you're not allowed to talk to him today. I'm like, oh, that works. Yeah. <laughs> it's 405. There you go. Not allowed today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's actually nice because it is also a slow news day. So it'll be maybe a little bit of a shorter show than we normally do to kind of get through some stuff today. So. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, before we move on, I just want to put a quick shout out to anybody who might be interested in this. This is not, you know, we're not super pushy about this stuff, but we have a sponsor spot that's opened up. And if anybody's working for anybody who thinks they might like to help support the show and things, reach out over email, let us know, we'll be in touch. Just a quick plug there. Yep, absolutely. So what you been up to recently, CJ? You know how I had, uh, I talked to you about my soil testing kit last week? Yes. Was it last week or the week before? Gosh, time flies. Uh, I think it was last day, yeah, yeah, last week. I've been slowly nerding out about like getting my pH levels right and my fertilizer levels right and fixing up all the dog pee spots in my yard and things like that. In my mm. spare time. That's my, I am determined to have a good lawn this year, and I'm giving it plenty of TLC. I should show you a picture of my backyard and how I have, um, now that you have a dog, I'm not sure if you have the same issue that I have. but Paths? The paths, yeah. I'm in a constant battle with my dogs every year to where I even have like garden fencing up in different spots in my yard, part to the... De- to protect the sod that I've put down. Yeah. Unlike you, we don't seed our yards. We have to like put down like ready um, to go pieces. grass. Yeah. 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 And it's more like drought tolerant and heat resistant. Right. But then the other thing is, is I have so I have like garden fencing that's blocking off those areas, but then I have garden fencing just in random spots just to block them from doing a path to redirect them. And then like once a week I'll move it. So I've been doing this for like three or four years. My family laughs at me, but I have grass envy when I talk to some other people who do this stuff. And I was like, I am going to win this year, 2021. (laughs) I'm going to get vaccinated and I'm going to get my lawn under control, my yard under control. And it's funny, it's only the backyard, but nobody else can see it. So Right, right. Well, you know, we have a greyhound, and they're used to running in circles around a track. <laughs> mm. In fact, that was mm. the beginning of his life, right? We, 
uh, we got him from a rescue from Greyhound that deals with greyhounds, and he came from racing in Florida, actually. So we were warned. By the way, the back of your your yard is going to look like a Florida racetrack, because and you should see him burn around the yard. It's just hilarious. He thinks he's still <laughs> at the track chasing little fuzzy things, but he just go what you get dizzy watching. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> That's like the reverse migration. Somebody from Florida has retired to Seattle, That's the right. Seattle area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not usually the flow, right? Usually it's the other way. Totally, totally. Yeah. So the last week I have been, while you have been grass nerding out, I have been work. I did a release on an update to my exam prep course for the MS600 exam for Microsoft 365 developers who want to get certified. Published a 300 practice test questions to the Cool. To the course, which was, cool. it's a big ad. Most companies charge like another hundred or two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars for mm. practice questions. I'm like, nope, it's included. So nice. that's one. But the rest of the week has been between doing two other things. Part I've been updating my projects that run my both the my entire front end of my website and then the membership part of my mm. website to like updating all the dependencies and going from making sure cleaning up like some trying to make my unit tests a hell of a lot faster, trying getting going from Webpack 4 to Webpack 5, and just all this optimization stuff. Between that and between like nerding out on Azure functions and automated deployment and making sure that I have like a really good structure down because I'm about to start a project that's going to have that stuff going is... Uh, uh, it's been fun, but I'm cu- I put something out on Twitter today. I'm curious what, what, uh, if our, any of our listeners have any input on it too. It'd be a great discussion topic if somebody, you know, wanted to come on the show and talk about it. Was like, what are some deployment patterns that you use for Azure Functions? And what I mean by that is full on CI CD, but then how do you manage like logging? How do you manage like telemetry, tracking version numbers, mm-hmm. uh, if you're using deployment slots, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So I'm, I've am i got a pattern that I think is going to work for what I want to do. And I'm just trying to make sure that I want to make sure that I'm not missing something. And I'm just curious what other people end up doing. Gotcha. So That's fun. That's fun stuff. I really enjoy that. Yeah, it is. It's a little frustrating. And in, in with GitHub Actions, where like I added a function that says add an annotation to App Insights whenever I do a deployment. And it's, you know, so whenever I, I publish a new release, I want to add an annotation, which is basically like a little bookmark in your graph on, on App Insights. So I added it. Everything was supposed to work. Nothing was firing. So I kept doing it. I was like, oh, I'll come back to this later. And all of a sudden it started firing. It's like, this is weird. It's like you do a release, but you had to like wait for it to kind of kick in. And it wasn't a whole like, you know, branch issue and all that hmm. stuff. It's just, I don't know, it's weird. Weird. But, nice. I love it when all that stuff comes together and it starts working right and you've got it all nice and smooth and everything looks good. I love it. Yeah. That's the thing is it works now. I just got to make sure that is this really what I want? Do I want to use a deployment slot for like testing or do I want to use a deployment slot for like staging? And then I want to, I want things, everything automated because I know I you do a bunch of work and then you leave it for a while and you come back and like, how did this work? And you can go look at your workflow and it says, ah, this is how you did your deployment. So I can go back and replicate and Whatever, yes. so. Yeah. How would you like to get into some news, CJ? Yeah, let's do it. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. 
Do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups and teams are actually being used? Are you sure that every team in your tenant is a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. And that's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams and collaborate team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. And that's why they've also combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything that you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. And now back to the show. All right. So to kick it off, I'm gonna, I want to do a, a kind of a rapid fire on a handful of message center things. You're going to notice a bit of a theme here because there's been quite a few changes that have happened recently or that are coming with Office 365 slash Microsoft 365. And a lot of them are around Microsoft Defender for Office 365. It's a lot of stuff that's being retired in June. So these are all going to come at you kind of rapid fire. So I apologize to everybody if you hear these things coming quick. But yeah, so this is uh, Message Center 250530. It's uh, Microsoft Defender for 365. Malware detected in email is going to be retired in June. So that if you had the email report that you were getting the malware detected coming to you as an email report, it's going to be migrated to a threat protection status report. Message Center 250531 is safe attachment message deployment. Disposition <laughs> is going to be retired June 14th as well. So instead of getting the this report, they want you to use the threat protection status report. I don't know if you notice a theme going here. Mm-hmm. Got another one coming. This is message center 250533. Forwarding report is going to be also retired in June. A lot of a lot of people retiring on June 14th. Instead of using this report, Microsoft recommends that you use the auto-forwarded report, which is where they're going to continue to invest their resources. Almost done. Got two more. Now, this one's kind of like doing a little bit of a pivot. On May the 15th, Microsoft is going to make a change to their back-end networking infrastructure. So this is going to be a bit of a shock to some large organizations that whitelist IP addresses and stuff. They're changing some public IP addresses for Defender for Endpoint Command and Control Communication. So the title of this one is MDE Infrastructure Might Change, sorry, MDE Infrastructure Changes Might Require Changes in Your Firewall and Proxy Setting. This is Message Center 250339. And specifically, there are some Europe region, UK region, and US region changes to where if you are pointing to these specific regions or using these specific IP addresses or looking well, if you're changing the IP addresses or you're whitelisting the IP addresses, they're going to make some changes. So they're, re- they're recommending that you point to specific URLs instead of pointing to um, the IP addresses. And then the last one is that this is a big one starting on July the 9th. This, sorry, Message Center 250344. This is a configuration change. Starting on July the 29th, Microsoft is going to, be, is going to start requiring Azure AD Auth to access Yammer. If your Yammer network does not already require AAD auth, this the setting to require it 
will be enabled automatically at this time. That could be a bit jarring to some people. Then again, they might have a hard time finding it because it's Yammer. So I thought I would highlight it. Fair enough. Fair, fair, fair enough. I can't log in and I also can't find it. Like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Trying to log in now? HTTP 405. Not allowed. <laughs> Not allowed. Now, there's some big news this week. Microsoft buying a, another company. And yeah, I think it's been finally form, well, formalized. It's been properly announced now. It was sort of a, a rumor for about a week and then it and then it landed that Microsoft are buying the company called Nuance or Nuance mm-hmm. for $20 billion. So mm-hmm. although this will technically not be the largest acquisition Microsoft's ever made, which I believe is still LinkedIn that came in at $26 billion. That was back in 2016. So with inflation and blah, blah, I don't know, yeah, it still doesn't come too close. Mm-hmm. My understanding of this company is that it's all about you know, voice and speech recognition and the tools and AI and the tech that drive a ton of that stuff behind the scenes. So it kind of makes sense that Microsoft wants to get into the space. But more importantly, I think, is that apparently this company is really big in healthcare. So they make solutions. My understanding, a very loose understanding is they make solutions for hospitals and doctors and things for doing Hmm. stuff like voice transcription of, you know, medical notes and things like that is one of their solutions. Now, I'm probably not doing it nearly enough justice, but you could see Microsoft taking this in either two directions, right? One is getting the core technology to drive, you know, speech recognition and natural language processing and things. And the other is also getting into a vertical like healthcare. They've not succeeded all that much in those sorts of endeavors previously. Microsoft has tried a number of times at forming healthcare companies and putting tech into them with partnerships with other people and then them collapsing. So mm-hmm. um, we'll hope this is not $20 billion down the drain, <laughs> but I hope they could use the core tech for something else interesting. Now, the cool thing about this is that I found that the company was also doing stuff with Apple around, and it, mm-hmm. and it formed some of the core technology around Siri early on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's still a deal in place with Apple to do this stuff or if it was just... They used it when the iPhone and Siri first came out, but I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was interesting. It was a surprising because, like, when you read something about, hey, giant new acquisition by Microsoft, especially after what we talked about, like, within the last two weeks, I immediately thought, oh, Discord finally closed. Like, nope. Oh. No yeah. news on that one. Yeah. So they were in talks, but it doesn't mean that's done yet. So it makes you wonder. The- Somebody got a rumor that Microsoft was buying something to do with voice, and they were like, oh, they're going to buy Discord. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. no, wrong company. Well, maybe, right? Microsoft hasn't commented on the Discord one, so... No, could be a I don't know. bit it of a mix-up. Might, might be a mix-up, might be in addition to... <sighs> Who knows? Yeah. Who knows what's going on? There's stuff like this that they could have done buying 10 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. I know that's easy to say in hindsight, right? But Microsoft with Cortana and, and things like that, yeah, we, we bag on Cortana a bunch. And um, because it was kind of a bit of a has-been, right? But mm-hmm. but also never really took off in a big way. And you think with, with additional tech and acquisitions and integrations and things like that, what it could have been. But, you know, it's impossible to tell. So I hope they're uh, going to use this for good. This will be, yeah, like I said, not such as largest acquisition by only a little bit. But I hope it's one that works out. 
I looked at all of the acquisitions since Sarcher has become CEO, and there's some pretty good notable ones, like Xamarin, LinkedIn, GitHub, obviously, Semantic Machines for Conversational AI, that was $400 million, Affirmed Networks, for $1.3 billion. CyberX for IoT security, $165 million. ZeniMax Media, the video game one that, you know, Bethesda Studios and all that stuff that we talked about, $7.5 billion. So yeah, he's made some decent-sized acquisitions, but mm-hmm. only a couple in the $20 billion range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a big one. It's That's a really a big one. Number. Yeah, a long time though. Like, founded back in 1992. It's going to be interesting to see are we going to see more of these, this size kind of an acquisition? Because you know, I remember when we first started hearing about, you know, you started hearing the billion dollar acquisitions and you hear about uh, Skype and then you hear about Yammer and you're like, oh my God, that's a billion dollars. That's ridiculous. And now you're starting to hear LinkedIn and then you're starting to hear GitHub. And now you're hearing this one. It's like, this is huge. It's like, is it the norm? Is that what we're expecting to see now? Is it just that people yeah. are flush with cash and then like going, got to, got to spend some money and get some tax breaks? And I don't know. I mean, it's, we'll be curious to see. We can't predict the future on that one. No, it's a big pill to swallow though. I hope they, uh, I wish them the best with it. Absolutely. I'm going to pivot a little bit and I want to talk about something that you and I have been talking a good bit about this with a friend of ours behind the scenes or off the show. Yeah. And it's something that I want, I wanted to give it some, some visibility because I've got a bit of a different take on it. Our friend is involved in like security at Microsoft quite a bit. And he, I'm not going to name anybody by names, but he, I don't want to say he took exception to it, but he was like going, yeah, you know, you guys really bag on Azure a good bit about, you know, when they have an outage or something, you know, this stuff is like, is tough and it's hard. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But these outages, you know, this is, I think it, it, some of the stuff is un, is inexcusable. Yeah. But then he turns around and it's like, well, what about, you know, all the different breaches that we have over at AWS? I'm like, okay, I'm not really, I'm not as familiar with this. What, you know, what's going on? Trying to learn a little bit more about it. And the theme around this is about that there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's been a string of data breaches by, it really boils down to improperly configured S3 buckets. Mm. Azure, we call these things containers Mm -hmm. and uh, blob storage. But AWS, they're called, it's S3 buckets. And it's having some, they're improperly configured Mm. and, or at least they're configured in a way that makes it easy to get access to them. Either they're public or the credentials are just, all you need is username and password to be able to get into this. Instead of having something like a true ACL of saying who's allowed to access these things and enforcing like MFA or two-factor auth or whatever. It is amazing how many reports we have come out of some customer being hacked and they're like, oh, it's due to some insecure S3 bucket configuration. Yeah. And and it's it's just, it is surprising. It is a common theme, right? But we don't hear the same thing on the Azure side and I don't know why. And it could be that it could be that it's just more secure by design which I, I doubt. I think it's they both offer very similar configuration options. Or it could be, in my view, it could be that Azure is more secure out of the box. Or it could be that Azure makes it harder for you to make it less secure. And I don't know which ones of those it is. Or it could be that people just aren't targeting Azure. That was the other one. That's the other option is that, is it that more of these higher profile companies are using AWS and not using Azure 
So they're not getting as Azure's not getting as much attention about this, and by the by people trying to compromise their content mm. or their data, and or the media isn't giving them enough attention. Well, mm. it could be any of this stuff. But I did find this article by by an organization. This was dated last year, so it's this has missed all the stuff like the big update that we saw this past week about LogicGate that had a huge data. Their data was hacked or compromised. In February of 2021, mm. there's the issue that Ubiquity Networks, the yep. people who make the Unify stuff, how they had their S3 infrastructure was compromised by someone's credentials that were, someone's machine was compromised, and they got the username and password to have root access from that employee's LastPass account to store their passwords. Yeah. So I found this article. It's by a company, or it's by a website uh, called UpGuard. And the title of it is S3 Security is Flawed by Design. It's interesting because it does take a a really good look at this. It talks about the fact that how the majority of the problems that we're seeing, this isn't, I wouldn't say it's, I would have said it's not Amazon's problem. This isn't AWS's problem. This is, you never can underestimate the power of people who just do bad things just have bad configuration and open it up. It's you know, if I store all my company data inside Azure and I make a public, I make a blob container public that anybody can access and including you can just make a request to it and enumerate through all the items that are there. Is that Microsoft's fault or is that my fault? I mean, that's not my, the fact that it was stored there. It's like, is it SharePoint's fault that Edward Snowden got all the data that he got from, from SharePoint? Or is it the fact that the security was set up on it was wrong right. or the right. fact that they were just doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing. And, What's interesting about this article is it talks about things like, you know, who's responsible for S3 issue or for the S3 security problems that people are having. Amazon has announced recently, they've announced, I guess, late last year, the chief evangelist for AWS announced about public access settings for S3 buckets, which is a setting that's designed to help AWS customers to stop what they call the epidemic of data breaches caused by incorrect configuration settings. And... What people can now do is they can now set four different options to set their their buckets that they can have their settings. Anyway, this article is interesting because it really goes into, you know, whose problem is this really? They take the approach in this article that the security problem with S3 is a product design problem. The fact that any authenticated user can access resources inside of AWS. Mm. They don't have... A concept, or at least at the time the article was written, they don't have a concept of like service principles or ACLs or role-based where you can actually block it, people getting in that way. I'm not as familiar with AWS. I don't know this, but that's what they're saying. They just had this concept of any authenticated user can access this stuff. The other thing is inconsistent ACLs and policy buckets, making it right. very easy to go through and to make things improperly secured. Gotcha. So gotcha. I wanted to it's an interesting article um, that goes through a lot of this stuff. I wanted to just highlight it as a issue that's been kind of going on recently and one that I guess people should just be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to read that article and, and learn a little bit more about S3 bucket configuration and see, try and do a bit of a compare and contrast with what I know about blob storage configuration and see, see if I can see any hints about why this might be happening more in AWS. Mm. It's certainly been a theme. So it's, it's got to be happening somehow. Exactly. Exactly. What do you say we do a couple picks? Let's dive in. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. 
What you got for us today, buddy? Speaking of, um, well, I guess insecure might be a bit of a stretch for this one, but I came across an article actually in an old, in a Facebook group that I belong to for Microsoft old timers. And the thread, so it's basically people that used to work at Microsoft or, or people that have worked there for a long time and things like that. It's quite funny. And one of the threads going around was, what product did you work on that nobody remembers? And it was quite funny. There was a lot of products in there that I had no idea even existed. Like the Microsoft Wine Guide it was back in like the Encarta days, right, where you send CDs and DVDs around with encyclopedia mm-hmm. stuff on it. There was a Wine Guide one. Anyway, another one that somebody posted was about OS2. Remember IBM's OS2 operating system? Yeah. Well, there's an article that was posted back in June 2019, so obviously things might have changed somewhat since then. But this article is entitled The Forgotten Operating System That Keeps the New York Subway System Alive. And apparently, IBM's OS2 runs the whole New York subway system. Oh, my God. Now, they were very quick to point out that this was written in 2019, so things might have changed. And then somebody else replied, but probably not. (laughs) 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 So IBM's OS2 may still be running the New York subway system that, according to one metric, 5.7 million people rode the New York subway on an average weekday in 2016. Right, so it's a fairly used system. But yeah, I think it means like, I think they're talking about like all the ticketing systems and, you know, all of that sort of management side of things. I don't actually know if they mean the trains themselves. But um, pretty cool. I just thought it was a blast from the past. I did a project once where they used OS2. It was pretty hilarious, actually. It was an um, <laughs> underwhelming project, let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. But it's amazing to think some of the stuff's still in existence, you know. Oh, uh, totally. Still lots totally. of COBOL out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a topic for another day. What do you got for us this week? I stumbled onto something that's uh, fun, something that was published on April the 1st. No, it's not a joke, it's real. But there is a Chrome extension that when once you install it, all it does is that when you open up a new tab in Chrome, the background is set to a picture that the Hubble telescope took. <laughs> Brilliant. It's cool. I found myself one day just hitting just, you know, command T and opening up new tabs just to see just a see new, new images showing up. Ah, oh, that's really awesome. It's neat. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it, I get the Bing homepage when I open a new tab. I used to get just the default thing you got in Chrome, which was like the Google query. The app launcher doodad and the query. Yeah, I gotcha. Kind of, yeah. I guess I quite like, I'm a self-proclaimed Bing search user. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. admit to that. But one of the things I do like about it is the imagery in the background. I know it's a simple Well, thing. this is cool because that's kind of what this is, except yeah. it's filtered for just Hubble stuff. I like that. It would be nice, actually, if being offered that, you could pick what themes you were interested for. The, it would be only for me because I'm pretty much the only one that uses it, I think. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you and the guy that actually designs the homepage. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Nice. I'll have to go check it out. Unfortunately, Chrome add-ins work in, in Edge, so I could add it and see if it works. There you go. Yeah. It's good. I like it. There's some ones you'll recognize, but it's good. Nice, nice. Cool. Well, we're going to keep this one as a short one today. It's been a relatively slow news week. Yep. But ta-da. That's all we got for this first session. AWS and securities. Some message center A lot of message center stuff. Yep. And A lot uh, of retirement. Dogs from Florida to Washington, yeah, a lot of message center re- <laughs> defender retirement Circle stuff. of the world, yeah. There you go. Right on. All right, well, we'll catch you next cool. week. Absolutely, man. Have a good one. Did you like this episode? 
please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.